The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. I think what's really needed is the the other key players need to come forward to, to the committees um, and uh, whether it is a case they're unavailable or when they are in better state of health, uh, I think that, that's what's needed, that accountability for, from those. But appointment of staff to the leadership team in RT is a matter for the DG and I'm not going to second guess his judgment um, on this matter. Um, what I, I would say in relation to the exit package that was revealed yesterday, there may not be a, a legal uh, obligation um, on the former CFO, but uh, I would concur that there is a, a moral obligation. So that's the Minister for Communications, uh, Catherine Martin, in response to a question from Sinn Féin's uh, Amelda Mulster, and it's referring to the controversy surrounding the revelation that the former Chief Financial Officer, Breed O'Keefe, received 450000 as an exit package. The announcement, of course, raises more and more questions about governance in the national broadcaster. Uh, joining me to talk about this, Dr Orlin Lennon, Assistant Professor in Governance, Sustainability and Finance at the University of Galway, and Kieran Malouli, former Midlands Correspondent and Community Development and Tourism Worker. Kieran, I'll come to you first. Good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, what was your reaction when you saw the scale of the payout to Breda O'Keefe yesterday? Well, yesterday afternoon, Pat, I can tell you that, uh, that my phone practically exploded with text messages and, and uh, other uh, responses coming in when Kevin Backhurst finally did reveal that €450,000 figure. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It's unbelievable to me. And I'll tell you why. Because you know, remember, as, as we've discussed before, I was in that queue, I suppose, for, for voluntary exit redundancies at that time. But I can remember repeatedly being told over, and I checked it last night, it was over a 12-week period I waited for news of whether or not I would be given the, the, the opportunity to get the exit package. And I was repeatedly told about this position with regard to the suppressing of my job, that my, my job would be, would be left in, uh, vacant indefinitely. And then the other line coming back repeatedly through the organization was that, you know, this was coming from on high within, within government as well, through the Department of Expenditure or Department of Finance, that there was somehow there was, there was a cap on this, that, were, that nothing over 200,000 was going to be agreed with anybody. And RT were told this was a cost-saving measure. Uh, so, you know, I, I, you have to, I have to say that I'm just, I'm just absolutely shocked that RT management at the time could have, somebody in there could have possibly agreed at a time when we were on our knees. RT had difficulties all over the place. John Williams, the head of news, was seeking cost savings of 1.2 million euro when I left. And uh, it was very clear he was going to do what he had to do to make those savings. We took it in, in good faith. But the reaction to, to the news yesterday is just one of absolute disgust, I have to be honest about yeah. it. Now, there was a more specific Athlone reason why uh, this is utterly perplexing to you. Yeah, a lot of people ask me, Pat, why I've been vocal about this situation from day one. I'll tell you why. Uh, over a period before uh, Breed O'Keefe left RT, I had direct dealings with her and senior management on a project called the Marconi Project. You're broadcasting from Marconi House this morning. There is, in my mind, only one real Marconi House in Ireland. It's outside at Lone and County Westmead. It's the site of the original Marconi, Guillermo's original Mar- Marconi transmitter, which put RTE to her in on air. De Valera turned it on in 1932. Long story short, the original transmitter is still there. Uh, Ten years ago, before I left RTE, we started a campaign to, to open a new tourism centre. A campaign was started. We spoke to key people. Falsha Ireland were coming on board with up to €3 million euro in grant aid. Ericsson Ireland had come on board, the new wireless versus the old wireless. It was planned to be a new national science museum. And RTE effectively scuppered the project because they told us at the time uh, they were broke. They couldn't afford to give us the land which was adjacent to the transmitter site, which we needed for car parking. 
It was very simple. We needed it for car parking for up to 40,000, 50,000 visitors a year. And Breed O'Keefe was the one who told me this couldn't be done because the RT organisation was broke. Now, I have to tell you, Pat, eventually RT sold that land out from under the committee and was sold for €350,000 at public auction. And I can tell you, I got some very, very unhappy people texting me and ringing me yesterday afternoon with regard to the final payment of €450,000 to Breed O'Keefe. It's seen... It has left a really, really bad taste on the mouth of so many people that RT could plead the poor mouth, while at the same time, we're able to pay out this amount of money in redundancy. Kieran Maluli, community development and tourism worker and former correspondent in RT. Kieran, thank you very much. Thank you, Pat. Now, listening to that is Dr. Orla Lennon, Assistant Professor in Governance, Sustainability and Finance at the University of Galway. Orla, what did you learn yesterday from the proceedings? Uh, Good morning, Pat. Well, what I might uh, start with, maybe for the benefit of your listeners, is to, I suppose, uh, define what is good governance so that we can clearly highlight the difference between that and RTE. So good governance is creating the conditions where effective decisions are likely to be made. Now, what's interesting from yesterday's revelations is that we are now seeing a consistent pattern of three key governance conditions that have consistently failed in the organisation. The first of those is robust internal controls. We already knew from last summer that there was no controls over the barter account. We now discover that an exit package worth €450,000 was not approved by the full executive committee. The second condition that's required is effective board oversight. And while we did have board members uh, state yesterday that they did look for risk information on on the Toy Show musical project, for example, this information didn't come from management, but it is the board's responsibility to hold management to account and seek assurances over those projects. Um, The third lack of governance is probably the most concerning, Pat. What absolutely must be required in any organisation for it to succeed is to have a culture of transparency and accountability. And what we actually have in RTE is the exact opposite. We have a culture of secrecy and fear. Um, You know, we already knew from previous revelations that the former CFO, the former commercial director were afraid to challenge the director general on the barter account. Yet again, yesterday, we learned that the human resources director was also operating under direct instruction of the former director general when she signed off on the exit package. And what that tells us is that executives clearly had no authority to challenge or question the former director general and they didn't even talk about it. Not alone did you not question the director general, but you didn't discuss it with any colleagues. Um, But to to suggest that uh, D Forbes was uh, running an organisation under a climate of fear, could it be that the people just couldn't be bothered or didn't see it as their remit to to challenge the Director General. If the boss says it goes, well, it goes. But to to suggest it's a climate of fear, it could be a climate of pretty much blind indifference. 
I, I actually get the sense from the Human Resources Director yesterday that it's a climate of a little bit of naivety. <laughs> so uh, maybe a combination of both. I don't think that there is a, a direct attempt on the part of some of these executives to intentionally conceal information. But certainly the you know Human Resources Director said that she had really only come into the organisation recently. And of course, when you join an organisation like that, where there is a culture already in place that you don't ask questions, you very, very quickly follow suit and follow in line with that culture. Um, And while it may not necessarily be intentional misrepresentation, there is certainly an element of naivety, I think, on the part of executives. How do uh, cultures such as that actually develop? I mean, is it down to individual personalities? Is it something else? Is it, I suppose, the fact that a large cheque is going to come in every year from on post for the licences and, uh, you know, that was uh, you know, free money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if yeah, you were well, spending I your mean, own money, you might spend your own money rather differently. Yeah, I mean, look, culture comes from the top. So it's the tone at the top and that filters down. And and I suppose that goes back to the oversight board. Um, and, you know, certainly in terms of even uh, the prior chair of the board, um, you know, there seems to be a, a culture there as well of that lack of accountability when they were looking for information on the Toy Show musical, the information didn't come and they didn't push and press the management. Um, and certainly what is the case in, in this situation is that if you have incentives that encourage you to, you know, ignore, look the other way, not challenge and not question, um, then that culture filters down. Yeah. So it's probably... Now- starts at boards and, and works its way down yeah. through management. I'm wondering, you know, what way boards are normally constituted? In, in this case, you know, the minister constitutes the board. Um, so you've no real control as a, a chairperson if you're appointed by the government again as a chairperson. You've no mm-hmm. real control over the constituents of your board and their competences. And is there any training for board members? Uh, I simply don't know. But in another organisation with a budget of hundreds of millions, how would a board normally be assembled? Wouldn't it be a board of shareholders? Absolutely. So, I mean, a board is normally assembled based on, you know, shareholders or investors or stakeholders uh, will vote in in the board members. But ultimately, the chair of the board is responsible for the functioning of the board. And so if the board is not functioning effectively or if the board needs change or needs refreshment or needs more independence, then it is down to the chair of the board to make those Mm. decisions. And I would argue that the chair of the board needs to go back to the minister, you know, if there are concerns on the culture of the organisation, it is up to the chair of the board to relay that back to the minister and change the constitution of the board. Again, there might be a climate of fear. You go back to your minister and say, Minister, this is a shocking board I have here. I want you to change them. And the minister says, holy God, the embarrassment (laughs) this will heap upon me, it shows my incompetence in selecting a board for the national broadcaster. Do do you know, it, it could be a difficult process? Well, I think let it let it be a lesson maybe for everybody, Pat, that, you know, being a board member is a very, very serious role. Um, a board seat is very important real estate for any organisation. And if you take on the role of being a board member, you need to ask the tough questions, you need to challenge, 
and you need to, you know, have that professional scepticism that's required. Um, it's a role that should not be taken lightly. Um, and, and, you know, I think certainly in the part of the board in this organisation, they do need to, to challenge, come out. And if there's something not working, that needs to be transparent. Yeah. And that's where the accountability A final and brief answer to this one, if you would, Orla. I mean, should they pay the board a proper um, remuneration for their services? Because if you're not being paid, maybe you don't Mm -hmm. take it that seriously. I think that's a great question, Pat. Um, The norm in in most organisations is that there is a set fixed fee. Now, I would just caution that it would need to be a fixed fee um, of of a set amount and not tied to any performance-based metrics, but certainly having a, a set fixed fee um, maybe, if you like, would uh, train the minds of directors to realise that this is an important position. Um, certainly, you know, there's a suggestion from board members that it was entirely voluntary, part-time, um, and that's not, uh, you know, giving the attention then to the role that it deserves, in my opinion. Dr Orla Lennon, Assistant Professor in Governance, Sustainability and Finance at the University of Galway. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.